0: Yo, we're back, week three, and this one is special because, for those of you that don't know, I am now in South Africa. So this is our first international podcast, just in time, too, because there's a huge international element in uh, in this week's episode.
1: Oh yeah, there is. Uh, you are in a real place, though. South Africa is a real nation, unlike, well, Indonesia's real, but Madripoor, the island that we are visiting this week in episode three of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, Is not, unfortunately. It looked amazing, though. And the music they had was incredible. It got everybody fist bumping in the club. Shout out, Zemo. Shout out, Zemo. Dude knows how to get down. We start this episode with Hoskins, a.k.a. Battlestar, and Dr. John Walker. Visiting. Looks like the place in uh, Munich where Carly Morgenthau was hiding out with the rest of her flag smashers last week. We don't know exactly where this is. It's an undisclosed location for the security of their uh, reactionary group, but it's the same man who offered them his terrible looking chicken and liver dishes last week, and they've got some questions for him. They want to know where Morgenthau and the flag smashers are, where they're headed, and Dr. Walker gets a little testy in this one.
0: It's pretty clear that they don't respect his. Authority. Insert a South Park clip there. I am a
1: cop and you will respect my
0: authority! Yeah, he's getting a bit testy. He goes in and it's clear that they just don't respect him as Captain America. He's there throwing bodies and hitting people and yet they're not giving him any information. And he even goes up and slams the one dude against the wall at one point and says, or he screams, Do you know who I am? And the guy is just spits in his face. You can tell that for Dr. Walker, <laughs> I'm going to call him Dr. Walker the entire rest of the time. If you haven't picked up on that, so get used to it. <laughs> it seems as if it's more frustrating that he's not getting the respect he thinks he deserves, which is a carryover from last week as well, his conversations with Sam and Bucky. But it's clear that he's maybe more upset about that than about not actually finding out any information. Maybe that's a mystery, but uh, you can tell that he is out to prove himself as Captain America to himself and to everyone else and here we see an example of him not being seen as that and especially when that's from an antagonistic force it's a real bad look for him oh yeah
1: it was uh one of the funnier moments to me watching him get disrespected by a complete nobody we don't even know who this man is can't cook chicken and liver to save his life but he's spitting in the face of the new captain america like it's nothing with with absolutely no fear it just goes to show again that We know who the real Cap is and the world does too. And it ain't John Walker. That's a fact.
0: And that's the last little bit we see of him for almost the whole episode. Obviously, there's not as little of him here as in the first episode when it's just one shot. But we don't see a whole lot of him in this episode because we end up focusing a lot more on Sam and on Bucky, which is where exactly the next scene leads off. The last we left them, we saw them going to do something with Zemo. We don't know if it's just talk to him or whatever. But here we find out that Bucky wants to break him out. And Sam is obviously just absolutely against that, which totally makes sense. (laughs) Uh, But we get a fun little scene there. Steve, you want to walk through that?
1: Yeah. So the scene begins and Bucky is going to see Zemo. We see him enter the cell and (laughs) Zemo immediately starts saying the Hydra code words. Bucky. Three or four words in just lets him know, hey, that stuff doesn't work on me anymore. He spent that time in Wakanda. Whatever vibranium magic they did cleaned his mind. Yeah, they just rebooted him basically.
0: They turned him off and turned him back on. (laughs)
1: 100% Turned him off and turned him back on. Uh, But now his old programming doesn't work. So he's no longer able to be controlled by the Hydra code words. And Zemo kind of giggles. He's like, yeah, I figured it wouldn't work, but you can't give me flack for trying. It's worth a shot. But then the scene cuts back to Bucky and Sam. And Bucky's like, we need him out of prison. And Sam's like, we can't just break him out of prison. And then Bucky's like, let me, let me walk you through a hypothetical here. This totally didn't happen already, but I may have done it already.
0: This is exactly what Rick and Morty was making fun of in that heist episode, where in every single heist movie, there's the potential and the plan and whatever. Then there's always the big reveal at the end that just literally walks through the entire thing and it's always already done or the thing's already stolen or the person's already broken out. (laughs) And it's the exact same thing here. Shout out Rick and Morty too. But I just was thinking about that watching this scene. I was just like classic, doesn't want to actually show it in real time. So just has a character explain everything that happened and shows flashbacks during it. It was very funny. Yeah, because it's
1: so much cooler when it's already done and you can have the reveal as the end of your story is finishing, yeah. you know, you can reveal the finale yeah. and that happens here. So as he's telling the story, you know, he finishes and Zemo walks into the garage, wherever they're hanging out. And Sam immediately is like, uh, what is going on? Like this, this is not okay. But Bucky calms him down, explains to him like, oh, look, we, we need him. Like he has knowledge of Hydra. That's who we are pretty sure is behind all this. And he has no love for super soldiers. So he's going to be on our side in this issue. Zemo kind of explains that as they're packing up and and gearing up for this mission. He's like, I tried to end the super soldier program with those five failed test subjects in Siberia. And now that I know there's more out there, like my job's not done. So I have to complete my work and help you take out the rest of these soldiers, basically. We find out, actually, that he has just loads of money like just obscene like bruce wayne style well here he's got a garage full of classic antique cars he then takes them on his private jet with his butler uh to go to madripoor where the story continues later on um but he's just batman if he decided to be a less cool guy he is a super rich guy just decided to use all his money for evil instead but as we see, maybe he, you know, he, he's a great character. He's not fully evil, but I certainly saw the the comparisons, and I'm sure lots of other people did too.
0: Yeah, and on the plane is where we first start seeing a bit of what he's up to. Because I was skeptical when he just agrees to go with them super easy. Like, he has no superpowers, so with those two guys, which Sam doesn't have superpowers, but with those two Avengers, there's not a whole lot he could have done to really argue once they broke him out, but I was like, there's no way he's just fully, fully on board with everything that they want to do, even if he does want to get rid of the super soldiers. There'll be some ulterior motive here, uh, which you actually, for the record, predicted this dynamic pretty well in our last week's episode, and I was sure he was going to be more of an antagonistic, fully antagonistic figure, so we'll see how that ends up playing out by the end, but we see a bit of his of what he's been up to or what he is planning on being up to in the plane as he's conversing with Sam and Bucky and he's just like very clearly needling them. They don't get along great as is, but he's constantly making comments and bringing up Bucky's past and just picking at them clearly with an intention to either at the very least annoy and antagonize, at the very worst set them against each other, which... Their whole thing in the first two episodes has been trying to get to work together and be on the same page. So here he comes messing up with that, even though he's technically helping them out.
1: Right. And, you know, he might be on the the good guys, quote unquote, side on this particular instance because their values align. But yeah, you clearly see him playing Sam and Bucky against each other, you know, noticing the dynamic that they're not best buds. And even if they were, he'd probably still do the same thing with, you know, Cap and Bucky or Cap and Sam. He he sees Bucky's book that has all the names in it. He starts asking him about it, which is clearly a deep personal issue for Bucky. He doesn't want to discuss that, obviously, with at least of all with Zemo. And so that gets on his nerves immediately. And then a little bit later, <laughs> Sam mentions that that's the book that Steve had when he came out of the ice. And he told him about the Marvin Gaye Trouble Man album. And <laughs> he asked Bucky what he thought of it. And he said, I liked it. So Sam seemingly like takes offense. He's like, "Oh, you didn't, you didn't love it. It wasn't, it didn't blow your mind." And Zemo butts in. Honestly, one of the funniest lines of the episode to me. Uh, and he just, he was like, "Oh, yes, it is truly a masterpiece. It really captures the African American experience." And Sam is just like, first he's offended and impressed at the same time. He's like, "How can you even make that claim?" But then he's like, "Also, yeah." He's right, though. He's, he he agrees with what Zemo is saying, even though he doesn't appreciate who it's coming from. Yeah, a non-African so, and non-American. <laughs> right, exactly. It, it, that's what made it so funny. But yeah, so there's just a couple examples of Zemo pushing their buttons, trying to see if he can maybe drive a wedge between them. Maybe he's just trolling them. We'll see what his end goal is here in the next couple of episodes. But we don't really get much as far as teasers or hints towards what he's after. This episode had a lot of information being told by new characters, but those new characters did not make it out of the episode as well. So there wasn't a ton of, I'd say, Easter eggs or theorizing that we could do this episode as far as, you know, moving forward compared to the first couple episodes, which I think is good because as the show goes on, like you want it to have a more clear story, especially for something like this, which is clearly like a self-contained, it's not going to be mcu breaking type story you want it to kind of settle into its own and really have a more like clear vision for itself so i think the fact that there's not a lot you know i'm imagining the same for the next couple episodes i think the fact that there's not a ton to theorize about or wonder about for the next couple episodes in terms of crazy reveals or big character twists or anything like that um, i think is good for the show
0: it it makes it much easier to watch and i know that was something that frustrated a lot of people about wandavision us included which we haven't talked about on here a whole lot but was just the idea that the theorizing was able to be so much more because they purposely put things in as red herrings which i didn't fully appreciate and i still don't but falcon the winter soldier does not seem to be going that route at all they're going much more standard which has been great and entertaining so i'm appreciating it and it also made a this week a little bit easier, us not having to <laughs> dive in quite as deep into everything. Yeah, it means we can just give our thoughts on what happened rather than what we think might maybe potentially have been hinted at, like some other episodes. So after this whole plane scene, we see them land in Matrapar, which is a totally made up place. You can tell it was made up because when they've been in Munich, it says Munich, Germany on the <laughs> label when they go to Metroport it just says matropore <laughs> it doesn't say a country next to it <laughs> so you're like oh clearly this place is made up this place is popping it kind of reminded me of um in black panther when they go to korea everything's all well lit up and bumping music and all this but they show up and have these roles that they have to play in order to fit in because it's this lawless ex-pirate haven kind of like singapore and pirates of the caribbean And so they each have to play a role to really be accepted and be allowed there because they're Avengers. They can't just walk in and (laughs) be Avengers.
1: Right. We see Zemo just assume his normal persona, which clearly he's got underground connections in seedy populous areas, you know, that he could use to his advantage as himself. So he doesn't necessarily need to adopt a disguise, but he has Bucky pretending to be the Winter Soldier again, um, which comes up a couple times in this episode, that he is going to have to pretend to be under the control of Zemo and not reformed soldier Bucky Barnes. Additionally, Sam has to pretend to be this character Smiling Tiger, who is an African warlord or something. I'm not really sure exactly uh, what his character is. He doesn't seem to go too much into uh, explaining who he's supposed to be, but he does look exactly like sam so he gets some snazzy clothes and they head to the club
0: yeah and this is where we get probably the best gif gif i'm going to say gif get mad at me whatever
1: no please say gif if any of you or any of our listeners say gif just stop listening we don't want your views if you say gif i promise you you're saying it wrong
0: gifs the peanut butter gif is the short video thing regardless we get probably the best gif of i don't want to say the mcu I don't want to say movie or TV history, but it's definitely up there. This is where we get Zemo doing the moves.
1: Well, because those just simply don't cover enough bases. I would say in all of media history or even all of human history, this might be the greatest GIF ever invented. They should put this in the loop. This is unbelievable. We see Baron Zemo just fist pumping away. In the club, just enjoying himself. I could not believe that that happened in the episode. I had to rewind to make sure that I didn't just see what I saw. But, oh, I saw what I seen.
0: The instant second I saw that, I was like, oh, this is going to be all over the internet. (laughs) People are going to love this.
1: Yep, instant meme. Sometimes you just know.
0: That was fantastic. But, regardless. So, he
1: fist bumps his way all the way across the club, and they, they head to the bar where they asked to meet his contact Selby. Now this kind of draws some attention to them as if the three of them didn't, you know, warn enough eyes, being the, the trio that they are when they walk in. But this draws the attention of some local tough guy, I guess. And uh we get a great fight scene where Bucky absolutely just thrashes like ten regular guys with zero effort. It was totally predictable but it was it was great to watch some of that cool winter soldier hand-to-hand combat but he has to do it while under the guise of Zemo's control which we think that he's got it all handled but you know Zemo makes a remark to Sam as he's as Bucky's beating up you know a dozen guys and he goes hey you know it didn't take long for him to slip back into form did it and you know we don't know if what's going on exactly in Bucky's head at this time but clearly Zemo's planting those seeds. You know, in, in Sam's mind that maybe there is still some Winter soldier stuff left. And after Bucky's done thrashing these guys, Sam looks at him, he's like, you good? And Bucky just kind of gives him a hesitant nod. Like, uh, I think so. But there may be something more there. We could we could definitely see some development with Bucky slipping back into his old ways.
0: Yeah, that was the most insecure, unconvinced and unconvincing nod I've seen. It's pretty clear that they both aren't quite sure what they're getting themselves into with Zemo, even though it's a necessary evil or necessary partnership for better or for worse. It was great to see him just throw down though. I'm like, dang, clearly everyone in here knows the Winter Soldier, knows his reputation and dudes are still trying to fight him. Like, I'll be running.
1: Yeah, right. Total, total new move. Put a Chris move. That's a new move ad in here.
0: That's a new
1: move. I just died like a new shout out Chris move. We get a new move here and it's the first of many new moves throughout this episode. After this, you know, fight, Zemo's contacts Selby who apparently runs the bar agrees to see them and they go up to visit her and Sam's phone rings while they're getting information. A total new move. Insert clip again.
0: Give that guy a manual.
1: How are you an Avenger and you don't have your phone on silent or do not disturb or like something? How do you have your phone on like full volume or at least loud vibrate when you are in a like undercover situation? That is like just a complete idiotic play by Falcon. I could not believe that happened. I was like, this is childish. This is amateur hour.
0: Yeah. I literally don't even know anybody that keeps their phone on loud ring anyway, especially not in a situation like that. I don't know. Maybe that's just me keeping it on vibrate all the time, but I'm like, dang. Yeah. This dude.
1: You know, I honestly, we we all, you know, we, we agreed that we want to see Sam as the next Captain America with the shield as laid out by the prior. But can America trust a man who does that in a high-stakes situation? Would John Walker have left his phone on in an undercover deal like that? No, probably not.
0: Uh, to be fair, John Walker could not have gone undercover as Smiling Tiger. So
1: <laughs> that's a fair point. But the point still stands. That is complete rookie mistakes from Falcon, and that's why he doesn't have real superpowers, because he can't be trusted with in high-stakes situations. Anyway, as a result, their cover's blown, but right as they're about to pay for Sam's mistake, Selby gets shot. Uh, their contact at the bar just gets pieced up through the window Peace up, Peace by an unknown assailant, and almost immediately, a text goes out to the residents of Madripoor, or at least the bounty hunter residents of Madripoor, saying Selby's dead, like a billion dollar or whatever their currency in Madripoor is, a billion dollar reward for the killers of Selby. And this to me reminded me a lot of John Wick. I know you've seen all the movies. I've seen all the movies. They're some of the best. You know what? I will say John Wick is the best action franchise currently going. Mission Impossible has some great films.
0: Is it still going?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's like two or three more at least planned for John Wick at this point. But Mission Impossible is the only other one that even comes close, for in my opinion, with their most recent ones, four, five, and six being just stellar all the way through. But in John Wick, spoilers—if you haven't seen it—you can skip to a different part in the video. We don't have timestamps, so you can just—you're just gonna have to guess. You're gonna have to skip ahead X number of time, and then you're just gonna have to. You know, play with fire here uh, if you want to avoid spoilers. But end of John Wick 2, he commits a crime against the Continental and is then excommunicado. And the beginning of 3 picks up almost immediately as every bounty hunter in New York is checking their phone. It turns out to be like every single person in New York is a bounty hunter. Because you want to pan down the street and you see every single person looking at their phones. Seems a little ridiculous there. But uh, the point being that the entire city's after John at that point. And it seems very similar here. Like they have many people coming after them from all directions that are all bounty hunters and capable of handling business. Um, so they get cornered by some and their unknown assailant is there again shooting up uh, those guys that are about to kill them. And the identity of the shooter is revealed. And who
0: is it? Sharon Carter. Exactly who we thought it would be.
1: Mm-hmm. You would only be surprised if you hadn't seen a single promotional thing for this uh, show at all.
0: I didn't see a single promotional thing, but it was so obvious after she was name dropped last week and after she was in the previously on section at the beginning of the episode. I was like, okay, clearly she's coming in this episode. What other point would she be in up till now? Clearly it was going to be her. So it was a fun little moment. Mm-hmm. But at least for me, it was not very shocking. It was good to see her back, though. I'd honestly mostly forgotten about her.
1: It was great to see Sharon Carter back. And she has a couple of great moments in this episode. She saves the boys from uh, almost certain pain. I don't think they would have died from a couple of bounty hunters you know, as main characters, but probably would have hurt a little bit. And then later, she kills like 20 guys, hand-to-hand combat all by herself, which she just did not care about. Loss of life there. But she was going in. Very, very nice to see Sharon Carter back and very good to to find out what she's been up to since her last appearance in Civil War.
0: Probably weirded out that Cap went back <laughs> and uh, fell back in love with her aunt.
1: Yeah, hey Sharon, sorry the guy that kissed you right before you got uh, excommunicated from the United States. Um, then decided to go back in time and, and spend a life with your great aunt.
0: Yeah, I wonder what kind of uh, thoughts go through your head there, but... That's neither here nor there. Nothing we have to ever worry about happening because time travel does not exist. But regardless, we see that she has been doing well for herself. She's chilling in this giant loft. Like she just invites them to come back and stay with her because they're on the run now. And she has all sorts of art. And they say something like, oh, most of the art in museums is fake so they don't get stolen. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. But she has a whole bunch of stolen art in there. And is just selling it and making bank on it. So she seems to not be doing too bad. But she is very, very upset still about the way her time in the U.S. ended. Being excommunicated, I think is the word they used. Or deported. (laughs) Not deported. (laughs) But being sent out of the U.S. uh, for being a criminal for uh, everything that she did in Civil War. Which everything that she did was basically just help out Cap and, and Cap's side and get him his shield back. Well,
1: she wasn't sent out. She's been on the run. She's just been on the run. She's not allowed back she, because she'd be
0: arrested. Sent back in practice, even if it was not an official get out of here. Um, but she's been on the run and she has no interest in going back to the States. She has no interest in trying to uh, make amends with the States. And Sam even offers to get her pardoned, which Sam's always trying to help people. It didn't work out so great when he offered to get his sister alone. So I don't know if he has a habit of promising things that he hopes he can do. I don't know if he's actually capable of uh, getting a pardon for her, but he at least offers in an attempt to get her to help them because it seems like she would know where this doctor is that they're looking for or at least know someone that can find him.
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned, the doctor. Dr. Wilfred Nagel is the name that they get from Selby uh, right before she was shot. This guy has apparently been able to recreate the super soldier serum and has been the one responsible for it now being back uh, on the market or wherever it is and responsible for Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers uh, acquiring it. Sharon is able to find out where Nagel is. She knows of him and and his location. So they all head out to this shipping area. There are a bunch of big containers everywhere and Nagel is, is hidden in a lab that is I guess, layered into a bunch of containers. There's a a secret compartment in the back of one of them that leads to his lab and they go interrogate him. Basically, they get his backstory. He's a uh, ex-Hydra scientist who was recruited by the CIA. Um, He started working on uh, the super soldier serum after he was able to get some stable amounts from the blood of Isaiah Bradley, who we met last week. He mentioned that they had, drawn blood and done a ton of tests on him, and so clearly Nagel was one of the ones who was able to put that data to work. He mentions how he was able to kind of improve upon the compound actually after isolating it, and he made, he remarks about how subtle, there's no gross transformations or big machines. It seems like he's put his own little spin on it, and that's why the Flag Smashers and Carly Morgenthau aren't just massive, beefy you know, Steve Rogers types, they're just regular looking people, but they have the same super soldier
0: strength. That made me imagine skinny, tiny Steve Rogers. You remember that scene in the winter soldier when the helicopter is taking off and Cap goes and grabs it and is just super jacked and pulling it in. I'm just, that made me imagine the skinny, tiny Steve Rogers doing that same thing. And I'm just like, this has me dead. That would
1: have been great. I promise there would have been a lot fewer scenes where they showed off his muscles if he looked like skinny Steve Absolutely. Rogers. Absolutely, and yeah. Chris Evans probably would not have played him. I could have probably played him. They should have got That's me. That's true.
0: Yeah, you about either one of us. Two and a half feet shorter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. They
0: could have got dad. I know. Oh, sorry, dad. Did you hear that? I wonder if uh, all the bombs would have been as interested in Captain America if it hadn't been. <laughs>
1: Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Um, Sorry, Mom. But anyways, they find out that Nagel had made 20 uh, vials of his improved compound, and they were all stolen by Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers. So. He's in the process of working on more, but that's the entire supply that's left uh, in the world at this point, to our knowledge.
0: And because he was snapped away in the middle of working on it, which is something that he said, they were like, well, why did you stop? And he's like, because I turned to dust in the middle of it. And then when he came back, because he was working for the CIA and then he got snapped away and obviously no one was able to continue his work. So they just dropped him because they didn't know if anyone was going to be coming back from the snap. And then when he came back, he had to basically start over. And we see that he's working for the power broker who was name dropped last week. And we find out that, like you said, Carly had stolen the the vials and the super soldier serum from him. So in essence, from the power broker. So we finally find out what they had stolen in the text messages that she received last week. That was like, you stole it from me. I know it's you. I'm going to kill you. We finally find out, okay, it's got to be the power broker or someone closely related to him, to them. And... We kind of get a little bit more of the backstory filled in as to what exactly vials they were carrying, it seemed, although they also had medicine. We find out a bit more about the Flag Smashers later on, but we find out how they got their powers, 20 vials and all, and we get a bit more of the backstory as to why the Power Broker is coming after them. Um, The Power Broker has been set up this whole episode as kind of the kingpin of Matrapor, and it's just hinted at, very mysterious. It seems to be guiding us towards it being Sharon, especially with a line that she says later on. I think that would be a bit too obvious, Um, but I also think it's getting late in the game to introduce yet another new character, so I'm pretty convinced that it's someone we already know, which is what's leading me to think it's Sharon, which is what everybody seems to be thinking, even though the power broker is referred to as a he earlier on. You know, if she's behind closed doors and whatever, that doesn't really matter quite as much, but what do you think about that whole theory?
1: I am fully bought in. If Sharon Carter isn't the power broker or working for the power broker or directly with the power broker, I will be wrong. But I firmly believe that at this point. Of course, they would set up, oh, power broker, he, 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 and then have, oh, shock twist, Aowin, I am no man, stabbing the, the witch king, you know, type uh, type gender switch reveal and have it be Sharon. I mean, she's clearly got a ton of influence in Madripoor, living in in what they call a high town, in this swanky penthouse, basically, just dealing millions of dollars worth of art. She knows about Nagel uh, already, and she knows that he works for the power broker. You know, obviously Sharon is a, was a capable agent at Shield. You know, so she could easily have found out this information. You know, other ways, but it does seem to be hinting very heavily that she is involved with the power broker in some way or is the power broker herself so as we find this information out from nagel uh sharon is actually outside just destroying bounty hunters as they're trying to enter the this cargo area and she's just like stabbing and shooting and just murdering dudes left and right no regard for human life whatsoever and when she realizes there are going to be a bunch more coming she goes in He says we got to get out of here And as they're getting ready to go, Zemo just turns and caps Nagel, just kablammo. And they're all just like, what did you do that for? Obviously they were looking to get some more information out of him, but Zemo on his war path to stop the super soldier serum and the program just saw his chance to take out the the Lee guy and, and, uh, and took it. So you can understand where he's coming from. He's not just trying to so chaos or whatever but he's he laid it out before this is his mission is to stop that program he doesn't want any more super soldiers so he took his opportunity
0: yeah i'm also curious if zemo is connected to the power broker in some way and if the guy was in some way going to recognize them or say something that would out him as as being that isn't necessarily the case but i was thinking of that as a huh is this a possibility
1: that is an interesting theory I guess we'll see how it plays out with Zemo in the next couple of episodes. But Zemo seemingly escapes right after as an RPG blows up the container that is holding the lab. And obviously, RPGs are harmless to main characters, so they're all fine, you know, despite a massive metal container just exploding right around them. But again, they're fine. That's That tickles. But Zemo's lost in the confusion, and this is where we thought, oh no, he just has been playing them this whole time. And he's taking his opportunity to escape, you know, now that he's got them confused, he's clearly got funds so he can evade them for a while and he's just going to go do his own thing, you know, free of their prying eyes and, and jurisdiction. So we're stuck with Sam, Bucky, and Sharon trying to fight their way out of this now exploded container area with a bunch of bounty hunters closing in on them and Bucky and Sam are arguing. You know, I said go left. No, you're left. No, who's left? My left. I don't know. Classic, just miscommunication humor there. And then we get a great scene of Zemo. He appears on top of a container with his purple hood on, and he blow. He shoots a pipe that blows up and takes out a handful of bounty hunters in a massive explosion. And then he jumps down, does some cool Sokovian military martial arts, and saves the the heroes from the basically kill box that they were in.
0: And he's wearing his classic comic book hood, the Purple Baron Zemo yes. hood, which is the first time we see him in it.
1: The Purple Baron Zemo hood. Yes. The hood is iconic. And a great look for him, honestly.
0: Yeah. Because we saw him snag that earlier on in the episode when they're getting his car initially. And... We've been just waiting for it to get busted out and we see it and we're like, dang, because that was something that in Civil War, he gets name dropped and he clearly is Zemo, but we never see that. And so it's fun that they're kind of just embracing the funniness and the craziness of the comics. Like in Scarlet Witch, now she has her classic, not quite classic, but much more cartoonish Scarlet Witch costume, which is fantastic. And they're doing the same thing with him now rather than trying to make realistic all of the costumes and everything like that, you know, it's been fun. I wonder if they're going to give Hawkeye in his show, the the purple (laughs) spiky uh, mask and hood. That would be pretty funny.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. I appreciate how they've been integrating some of the more classic comic looks into the shows here. I would even go so far as to say the goofiness of comic books is what they've been embracing. You said, funniness or craziness but comic books are inherently goofy they're just superheroes drawings of superheroes you know running around and doing impossible stuff this is something that dc gets slammed for all the time when they you know put out a new movie they're trying to be realistic and dark and gritty and that works for some movies but marvel's formula has definitely involved more embracing the the funniness you know they're got jokes throughout all their movies i would even go so far as to call many of them comedies and they just have a much lighter tone, and on top of that, they're seeing that people like what they put out, and they're here for the characters, and so people don't really mind if they they get a little goofy now and then, as long as, you know, they're still telling good stories and doing the characters justice. So Zemo's Purple Hood, I think, is a fantastic look for him, and uh, really completes the scene as he's as we see this cool visual of of him from our hero's perspective possibly of him fighting through the fire and taking guys out left and right um with the hood on it looks really great definitely some really good action in this episode from start to finish and our hero's escape thanks to Zemo saving the day for him there um but he's not with them and so we think is he gone again did he dash on him a second time but then we cut to him grabbing a sweet car out of some container which conveniently just happened to be there, I guess, and open. Yeah, you know, which is whatever. But he slides up in the whip, and the boys are about to go take off. They offer Sharon to come with them, but she declines for plot reasons, and uh, they take off without it.
0: Yeah, and she ends up going back to the car that she came in, which confused the heck out of me. I was like, how are all these bounty hunters and probably power broker people coming after them? No one sees her car or cares to try to take it or something. I don't know. Just very convenient that she also just right when she needs it to leave, she just has it. But as she's getting into the car, she says to the driver, which we haven't met yet, she says we have a big problem, a couple of them. I don't remember if that's the exact quote, but basically she's saying that there's a few problems and we can only be left to question or to wonder what does she mean by those? Does she mean Sam and Bucky? Does she mean Zemo? Like she doesn't trust him. Does she mean the information that was passed along by Nagel? We are just left guessing. And this is where a lot of people get the idea that she's the power broker and that Sam and Bucky are the ones that are the problems. Although she just killed like 20 dudes, keeping them alive. So would have seemed like an easy way if she wanted to take them out to be able to do so.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. There, there are definitely some hints there that make it seem like she's More informed about what's going on to an extent that she is behind it, behind events going on in the show. But yeah, it seems like if she would think that Sam and Bucky are the issues, that she would have just let them die instead of uh, saving them from a dozen guys. We'll see how it plays out. Her quip about having two big problems really asks more questions than it answers, and uh, I'm sure we'll get those in the next couple weeks here. But that is the last we see of Cher in this episode as we then cut to a scene with Morgenthau. Uh, and she and another Flag Smasher are kind of eyeballing a building, uh, a GRC building um, that has food, uh, apparently, that th- that has been hoarded and kept from people who really need it. She says this to a guard as she leaves them tied up there later, uh, that they had enough food to help the people in need and, and they just didn't give it to them. And so you see kind of the good side of the Flag Smashers here They're trying to get resources to people who desperately need them, you know, so they're trying to really play up that Robin Hood angle. Unfortunately for me, that's where the good stuff about the Flag Smashers kind of ended, because she ends up just blowing up the building that they were eyeballing, and her colleague remarks that there were still people in there, and she said, she says, this is the only language they understand, and That immediately, for me, just lost all interest in the Flag Smashers. They went from a nuanced you know, group of rebels trying to help people in need, but maybe not using the best methods to do so. Similar to the tale of Robin Hood. I mean, that was an apt description for what we knew about them through the first couple episodes. But now we just see them blowing up buildings with Abandon because that's how the other people do it. So it seems like they're now... being set up to be the punching bags for our heroes as they save the day in the next few episodes, which I'm fine with. I just wish that the villains had a little bit more character and depth in these Marvel shows so far. Hayward and and Morgenthau being the main examples. Hayward from uh, WandaVision.
0: I was about to say Hayward when he is nuanced and you can see his side up to the point that he goes to shoot kids and you're just right like, well,
1: and he just pulls up on the scene and decides to pull a gun on children and fire for no reason
0: it's as if they don't trust us to be on the good guy's side and so they have to make it so obvious as to who the villains are it's like that's unfortunate
1: I am now hoping the flag smashers just get their teeth kicked in for the rest of the series I want to see John Walker just let loose on him like he seems to be the type of guy that just go absolutely ham if necessary and by all means go absolutely ham we then get the finale of walker and hoskins in this episode they're the second scene they're in and they are at the prison where zemo was being held talking to a guard there confirming that sam and bucky were there on the day zemo escaped and so walker not an idiot obviously puts two and two together that they probably had something to do with it there's no proof that they did it, though, so without having hard evidence, he can't really just accuse two Avengers of breaking a, a supervillain out of prison. So he and Hoskins have a conversation as they're kind of walking away that they're pretty sure that Sam and Bucky are behind this, but legally they can't really do much about it. So seems like they're going to take matters into extra legal hands. Walker mentions we have to bet on somebody with a better hand. What that means exactly remains to be seen. Do we think that he's going to get somebody to help them out in place of Sam and Bucky to go handle the Flag Smashers? Or are they going to send somebody after Sam and Bucky specifically to bring them in? We don't know yet. Uh, There was no teaser as to who they're going after, who they're going to bring in. That may lend itself to any theorization, but uh, I'll be excited to see who the government basically brings in to do non-governmental things with uh, Sam and bucky here
0: i'm really curious to see as well and this is the other main theorizing aspect part of this episode other than who the power broker is because i don't know it just seems so late in a series that has already introduced so many new characters to continue to introduce more and so if dr walker is going and finding a new person to bring into this series and if the power broker ends up being a new person in this series i mean we're three episodes out of six in already we're more than halfway through by the time the next episode starts and we still potentially have nothing introduced which really makes me think that these are returning characters to some degree so I don't know if it's one of the other Avengers that's going to be stuck in an awkward situation or if it's going to be some just person that he knows that isn't necessarily a big character, but just a one quick scene and done. Or if there's something else funky going on, maybe it's the power broker. Maybe Walker's in with the power broker or something. I don't know.
1: I think that might be pushing a little bit too far. But uh, hey, <laughs> I could eat my words. We'll, we'll see here in the next few episodes. We're, we're halfway done with the season and we got three more to go. The final scene of this episode was a great, great teaser for what's coming next, actually. You know, you mentioned Power Broker and what Walker's going after. But I think this is a real big key moving forward here. Zemo and Sam and Bucky show up in a new location. We're not exactly sure where. or I'm not exactly sure where.
0: I thought they showed up where the Flag Smashers had just been. The last recent sighting, right? Because they were going after. Oh, it might have been. Because there were the bodies that were left behind from the explosion. So they were going back to wherever that was. I don't remember exactly where it was, though.
1: Somewhere. Yeah. Anyways, they're going to a new location, the site of the Flag Smasher's latest activity. And Bucky says, oh, you, you two go on ahead. I'll, I'll catch up with you in a sec. I got some business to take care of. And he ends up tracking the little balls around the city for a little bit. And I did not recognize it at first. But of course, they turn out to be the Kamoyo beads from Wakanda. And we end up meeting, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's either Ao or Io, But she is a member of the Dora Milaje, the Kingsguard of Wakanda. And she says, I'm here for Zemo. And that's where the episode ends. Zemo, obviously responsible for the death of King T'Chaka, father of T'Challa, R.I.P. Chadwick Bozeman. And so clearly, they they do not forget any grudges. Wakanda will hate you forever if you wrong them. See also Claw, comma Ulysses, and that's where we leave it this week. Wakanda is going to get involved here with Zemo. Obviously, they want him. Sure, Bucky wasn't planning on just letting him go at the end here, even if he did help him out. So we'll see what transpires here.
0: Yeah, it's so cool how they're just bringing all of these different stories together. I mean, this is the type of thing you can only do in something as big and connected as the MCU bringing people from Wakanda into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, coming off of Civil War and Endgame is fantastic. (laughs) And it's the type of creativity and creative liberty that they only have now with everything already established and built. It gives them a little bit of extra pressure of things they have to live up to and such. But it's like, dang, Wakanda's getting introduced again. And I wonder if this is going to end up leading into Black Panther 2 in some form or another, which I'm sure that script is probably much different now than the original script for Black Panther 2 is supposed to be just, you know, because of Chadwick Boseman's passing.
1: RIP Chadwick Boseman. Gonna win a posthumous uh, Oscar this year for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Great movie, by the way. Y'all should check it out.
0: I've not seen it.
1: It's not really a movie. It's more like just a very cinematic theater production, but it's excellent. I will check it out.
0: Yeah, but it's exciting to see what will happen with Wakanda's entrance into the Falcon and Winter Soldier universe, because obviously, at least Bucky has a history with them saving his rescuing his brain and all that. Sam, not quite as much. He did some fighting there, though, <laughs> which was, I'm sure, fun. He was there. He was he there. He was present. It existed at the same time as him. So,
1: Well, that about does it for the third episode. And we are now officially halfway through the season. Just six episodes for Falcon and Winter Soldier. But they're obviously much longer than the typical 20 minutes that you would get with a WandaVision episode. So uh, lots to talk about each week. But um, that's why you tune in to listen to us. Because we, we have the meats. Oh, that's Arby's. Dang it.
0: Insert fun catchphrase. <laughs>
1: We have
0: the reviews.
1: Yeah, we'll figure out a fun catchphrase eventually, and we'll put it in there. If any, we're we're accepting suggestions for taglines, intros, name changes, music suggestions, anything. We're we're taking suggestions from all listeners. So feel free to call the hotline and contribute.
0: That will get us some interesting things or nothing, more realistically.
1: Yeah, well, I wonder who's going to get called because we don't actually have a hotline. That's a good point.
0: Just push random buttons and Uh, you might get us.
1: Yes. Call the operator and then when uh, 1945 answers, um, forget what I was just saying. I had something snappy and it immediately left my head as I was (laughs) saying the sentence.
0: (laughs) That's right. We're running off fumes. It's the end of episode three. We're wrapping up. This leaves me very excited for next week. Although... (laughs) I'm in trouble because apparently Disney Plus does not exist here in South Africa. So if anybody has recommendations for good VPNs, I am on the market for a new one. Don't put that in this episode, how you're trying to cheat the big corporations. It's going to get
1: us canceled off the internet.
0: Oh man, canceled after episode three. Oh, I think that means well, we're in the big leagues at that point.
1: Oh yeah, baby, we made it. I love it. Anyways, thanks for listening again. I hope you enjoyed hearing about episode three, and we'll be back next week with another international episode of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier Reviews here. We will be back. I cannot wait. Somebody call Pitbull. Justin's the real Mr. Worldwide now.
0: Bada bing, bada boom.
1: All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in. you next week. Peace.